today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. See, when the non-believer takes notice of our lives and reads the letter of our lives and what they read is the real deal, then God is glorified in us and the non-believer will be attracted to us and they will want what we have. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of 1 Thessalonians. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you take on an enormous responsibility, showing Him to others. As Pastor J.D. encourages you in his message today, when you live a life pleasing and glorifying to Christ, non-believers will be attracted to you and want what you have. Jesus Christ is the answer. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 as he continues his message, turning down the volume of life. And where does Elijah go? Oh, he runs for his life into a cave and hides out. That in and of itself is another topic for another time. He actually wants God to take his life. Yeah, that's it. I would argue that he is disenchanted with God. He feels like God has let him down. Here he has just defeated and slain the prophets of Baal. And now he was thinking, well, God, why didn't you take care of Jezebel? Why are you letting her do this to me after what just happened? I think he's disappointed. God didn't do what he thought God was going to do. Maybe that's you here today. And so now God is going to speak to him but not in the way one might think. You know, I picture Elijah as being one for the dramatic. I mean, throughout his life. I mean, he was a very passionate man. He was a powerful prophet. And I kind of get the impression that he was really into fire. I'm just saying, I'm not suggesting he was a pyromaniac. I'm just saying that if God's going to speak to him, it would certainly be using fire. I mean, he just got done calling fire down from heaven, right? So wouldn't it stand to reason that he would, you know, speak through fire? No. So here he is in the cave. God appears to him, and it says, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. Oh, it's going to be the fire. This is Elijah we're talking about. Certainly God is going to be in the fire. Nope. But the Lord was not in 
in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Here's what I'm thinking. We're prone to want the big. And as such, we're not listening for the small. Our our ears are turned to the loud. And as such, they're not tuned to the quiet. This quieting of our hearts. By way of an example, recently, this is recent, everything's off. It's just me and the Lord. Doors locked, everything's on silent, everything's shut down. Just, okay, Lord, speak, speak. And it took a while. (laughs) I had to be patient. (sighs) I know you know not what I speak of when it comes to patience, but just patiently waiting for the Lord to speak. And He did. I don't think he could resist seeing this opportunity now where after the fire, after the earthquake, after the noise, after everything has passed by and been shut down, now I've got your attention. I want to I show you some things. I want to say something to you, very personal very prophetic, very profound, very powerful. And he revealed something to me. It was an answer to something that I had been petitioning the throne concerning for quite some time. You know, I always know I've made a good decision when my only regret is that I didn't make it sooner. And my only regret at that moment was that I didn't just do this sooner shut everything off, quiet everything down, and just get along with the Lord, spend time with Him, and listen to what He has to say. You might be surprised what He has to say to you. Imagine, perhaps, in your life that God has something for you, something He wants to reveal to you, but you're all over the place. You're busy going to and fro, busy about many things. I think of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus and her sister Martha. I think, I know I'm a Martha. I'm I'm very gracious to Martha because I feel her pain. I want you to know. We got work to do. In fact, Martha's getting mad at you marries. Right? Isn't that what Martha did? Jesus, tell my sister to get up and get in the kitchen and help me. We got work to do in here. And never imagine Jesus with a harsh tone to his voice. He just says to her, Martha, Martha, come on, you're killing me. He didn't say that, but (laughs) you get the point. Martha, what are you you doing? 
Mary has chosen the better thing. You're not going to always have me here. (laughs) The kitchen can wait. I'm here. She's hanging on every word, listening to the voice of her shepherd, and the sheep know the voice of the shepherd as he speaks into her life. I find it interesting that Jesus would say to Martha that it can't be taken away from her. And, and, And what's so interesting about that is that what he was saying was, what, what I'm doing here and what Mary is hearing here will never return void. That kitchen work that you're doing, it's forgotten long after. Not this. This is the better thing. It's not saying that's a bad thing. This is just the better thing to sit at the feet of Jesus and let him speak into your life. Maybe, hmm, I guess maybe I am supposed to go here. I asked the Lord about it earlier. Maybe the Lord wants to free you from the crushing weight of unforgiveness. And the only way He can minister to you to do that is to get you alone, quiet, still, so He can minister that to you and speak that to you and free you from that. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it's a husband, a wife. And you've allowed this root of bitterness to germinate and sprout, and it's destroying your life. It's destroying you. Not not them even. (laughs) You. And the Lord wants to free you from that. You know, I I say it this way, and it's really not probably the best way to say it, but God's got a problem, not that God has problems, but if God had a problem, the problem would be, that He wants to say something to us, minister something to us, but he, he has to first get our attention, because our lives are so busy. The volume of our lives is so noisy. So the problem that God has, if you will, is that He's got to figure out a way to get you by yourself, all to himself, so he can speak to you. For Elijah, (laughs) it had to be all dramatic, and this whole thing with the prophets of Baal, and he had to come to that place, and he's in that cave, and now he's got Elijah's attention. And now he's going to speak into Elijah's life. I think there's a lot of Elijah's in the body of Christ, and God has to get our attention so He can speak into our lives. Here's the second one. It's in verses 11 and 12, and it's that we win the respect of outsiders. This is interesting. And 
What makes it so interesting is that Paul says, make it your ambition. Aspire to this. You know, there's nothing wrong with ambition. Selfish ambition, problem. Ambition, no problem. To have a a godly ambition to aspire to godly things. He says here, make it your ambition. This should be your goal. What, what's, the, what's the goal? What should I make my ambition? Oh, to lead a quiet life and mind your own business. Oh, I could do a whole sermon on just that one right there. Mind your own business. And then he even takes it further and says, and work with your hands so that you're not dependent on anybody, so that you win the respect. I mean, if you think about it, isn't it true that a quiet life, a life like this, where one minds their own business, works hard as unto the Lord with all of their might for His glory, and they, they just have this, this simplicity about them, this quietness about them, and they just have made it their ambition to live a quiet, godly life. Does that not stand out in a world like we live in today? And by the way, (laughs) wouldn't the outsider, the non-believer, the world, when they're watching this, You don't think they're going to take notice? You know, the Apostle Paul says that we're living epistles, we're living letters. In other words, the letter of our lives is being read by the outsider. They're reading the letter of our lives. And they're asking two questions. And you know what those two questions are, right? We talk about it quite often. The first question the world is asking the Christian is, is it real? Are you the real deal? Because I've met way too many Christians that are just, I mean, hypocrites. They're not real. They're not the real deal. There's no difference between them and us on Monday morning. Oh, sure, on Sunday? Whoo! Driving to church with the family. Hitting the kids in the back, you know, before they pull up into the parking lot. And then they pull in the parking lot, big smile. Praise the Lord. That's Sunday morning. But you know what comes after Sunday morning? I know this is deeply profound. Monday morning, and then Tuesday morning. So they're asking, is it real? And the second question is, does it work? And here's the thing. (laughs) They want you to be the real deal, and they want it to work, because if you are the real deal and it works, then there's hope for them. And they're watching us. Those employees, if you're an employer, those co-workers, they're watching you. They're reading the letter of your life, and there's something peculiar about you, something different about you. And that's what wins them, wins their respect. Now I have earned the right to speak into their lives. Many, many years ago when I was 
working for Mercedes-Benz, had this uh, uh, older uh, gentleman, uh, quite quite older than I was. I was still in my 20s at the time. <laughs> I had hair. And anyway, but um, he, he was watching me, and I knew he was watching me. I'm the new kid on the block, and I'm this young whippersnapper, and, you know, he's the old veteran, and, you know, been around the block a few times, and tell you a thing or two, sonny boy, and that kind of thing, you know. And it was just a weird dynamic. And, and then his wife got the diagnosis. You know, who, who he, he was asking to pray with him? He was asking me to pray with him, which means he was watching my life and asking those questions about my life. And so when that happens in his life, I had earned the right for him to come. I mean, that, greatly humbling himself. I mean, he was the number one guy. I mean, just, you know, had the seniority and the respect. And I mean, he was the man. Everybody aspired to be like him. And then here I come, you know. His, his kids are older than me, and I come in onto the scene. And something different about this kid. Oh, I see what it is. Hmm. See, when the non-believer takes notice of our lives and reads the letter of our lives and what they read is the real deal, then God is glorified in us and the non-believer will be attracted to us and they will want what we have. The Lord just reminded me of, it's a much needed reminder, I need to, I need to hear this. And he just basically, because I always, I still get a little bit, I don't want to say nervous, but I, I, the seriousness of this profound privilege that I have to stand behind this pulpit and preach and teach the Word of God. Before I get up here, I mean, I take it very seriously. It's a very sober reality that I'm sort of standing on holy ground. And sometimes the, my nerves might get the best of me, and so the Lord is so faithful, and He just spoke to me, spoke to my heart, and said, they are not here, these people are not here to hear you. good thing. They're here to hear me. That's why they're here. You're just the mouthpiece. Talk about taking the pressure off of me. I was like, thank you, Lord. Okay, just, you know, speak then. I'll just be the mouthpiece. And you speak through me. You know what I love about when God does that? Oftentimes, probably more often with me than others, He has you hear a different sermon than the one I preach. And I praise God for that, because see, as I speak, He takes by the Holy Spirit, and He fine-tunes the Word to that need in your heart. Because He sees your heart. I'm only looking at your outward appearance. And by the way, you all, this morning, you look marvelous, all of you. But God doesn't see the outward appearance. He sees your heart, and He knows 
every need of every heart of everyone that is here. So he'll take, because his word doesn't return void, he will take his word and bless it to your heart, to your understanding, to your ears, to your eyes. So he opens up the eyes of your understanding. He opens up your ears. He opens up your heart. And then you are taught like the Thessalonians who were taught to love in this way. I want to close with one more quote from Chuck Swindoll, but before I forget, because I do forget, another thing the Lord was ministering to me today out of Galatians was uh, Galatians 5.22. You know it well as the, the fruit singular of the Holy Spirit. Why is it not fruits of the Holy Spirit? No, it's fruit singular of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the fruit singular is love. And if you love that way, as they did, one for another, you know what comes from the fruit of love? Oh, joy, peace, kindness. You know, this is the time of the year where we make all those resolutions. I I stopped doing that, by the way, because about January 3rd, I'd already blown it. So so now what I do is I just pray and say, Lord, like for example, this year, I, I want to be a kinder pastor, a kinder father, and a kinder husband. So I, I ask the Lord, make me a, more kind. I want to, I want to, be kinder. Well, how am I going to be kinder? By way of the fruit of love, because when you love and God bears the fruit of love in your life, then what comes as a result of that love is kindness and meekness and gentleness. I want to be more gentle, Lord. Make me more of a gentle man. I want to be more gentle. Chuck Swindoll writes, When I keep my hands out of things, His will is accomplished, His name is exalted, and His glory is magnified. Do you want people to be attracted to the Lord in your life? then quiet down and turn down the volume of your life and watch what God will do. You've been listening to In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The church in Thessalonica that you've been hearing about was a fairly new church at the time this letter was written. They'd only recently come to understand the power of unconditional love demonstrated by the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. However, as with many churches in those days, they were troubled by persecution. This group of believers continued to follow Jesus, and the Apostle Paul praised them for their faithfulness. Are you feeling persecuted for your faith? It can happen even in this modern world. Jesus is aware of it. He's there for you. He's provided you with scripture to encourage you and the Holy Spirit to guide your steps and your words. Keep looking to him for your source of strength. 
We're so glad you joined us for today's message. We'd like to let you know how you can find out more about In Spirit and Truth. Just visit our website, InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Our audio library is available there in the archive. Or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. This app is a great asset for your time of study and includes audio for Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. Just search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store to download. That's all for today's message. Thanks for tuning in to In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old way.